LPS podcast, this is special. This is, uh, it's, it's not, it is not frequent that we get a community leader on our, on our podcast who's really not directly associated with the school, but mm. soon will be. Mm-hmm. So I'm welcoming Rania Mancarios. That's it. All right, good for me. <laughs> uh, Rania is the CEO of Crime Stoppers. So, Rania, yes. welcome. And, and Rania is going to be here doing a parent ed for us mm-hmm. uh, soon after this podcast drops. So, Rania, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your five minute autobiography? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I am, yes, Rania Mancario, CEO of Crime Stoppers of Houston, Boston native, born and raised, but came to Houston, Texas in 2006. I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and am a lawyer, um, but really wanted to mix that up because I just love people and I love families. That's sort of my foundation. My parents were immigrants from Cairo, um, Christian, which makes them super minorities, and came to Boston and and really raised me and my sister with this like love for community. You know, if you were Right? If you were living in Cairo as two young girls, what would your life be like? Okay, and here you have every opportunity to do anything you want, so what are you going to do? Um, I was the weird third grader that brought Camelia Sadat, the daughter of Anwar Sadat, to my uh, show and tell. Like, very strange. Um, but I just love people and politics and news and stories from a young age. And when I came to Houston, um, a friend of mine in New York said, you know, I said, I don't want to do traditional law. And she said, look in the nonprofit sector. Crime Stoppers was looking for a, a lawyer with marketing experience, which is what I was. And I, I went in 2006. They said, all we have is an internship at $10 an hour. I took it. And my husband thought I was a crazy person. I didn't care. And I've never left. And so um, now we run, you know, Crime Stoppers is just an incredible nonprofit organization that really is doing incredible things. Okay, so that uh, that that's remarkably concise. When I usually say five minutes, I get like fifty-five minutes, and we have to edit. All right, so um, grew up in Boston. I have to ask: Are you still a Red Sox fan? No, I okay. have like this crazy love for the Astros. Fantastic. I mean, a obsessive love. And my daughter Evelyn, my youngest, is the same. So we we even when they play the Red Sox, I'm like, I don't care. Oh wow! I'm like, I am Astros all the way. So are you? Are you okay saying that? I mean, the podcast, yes. we have tons of people yes. who listen. So. I love Boston. I love, love, love Boston, but nothing beats the Astros. Nothing beats the me. Astros. They, one, I love, I love the Cranes. I love the, the organization. I've worked with a lot of them there. They are such good people, and the players are so amazing. Yeah. Um, there's just no team like the Astros. I love it. I love it. Okay, so then you mentioned kiddos. So you yes, have three. Tell us about your family. Yeah. I have three girls. So my husband's a physician here. We met when he was doing his residency in, in New England. Um, three daughters. Uh, they're all about to have birthdays, but right now they're 15, 14, and 12. You want to stack that tuition. Yeah. College tuition, right? Yeah. Good. I have to think about all of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, my dad, who recently passed, used to say, the love you have for your kids is painful. And now that I have them, I completely understand what he means. They, they are everything to me. And I've told them, I've, they've only known me working for Crime Stoppers because I've been with Crime Stoppers for, you know, 16, 17 years. But I, I even tell them, the day you want me to leave, I will. I don't want them to resent my work. I love them. And that is actually a great segue into the book that you've written. Yeah. Um, Because it really, I love talking to you beforehand. Like, so I've, I've read this book. I encourage everybody to read it before the, before the parent It's called the online world. Um, And it really, I mean, it is a book for kids, Mm -hmm. but, but it's not a book for kids. Right. So why don't you, 
Well, tell the great story about uh, your dad and wanting yeah. to write this book, and then if you can just sort of pivot into sort of big picture what this book is about. Sure. So um, my dad, who, who passed uh, a year ago, September, uh, was a chemist, actually a famous chemist. He created um, something that changed how we do so much, but that's another a podcast for a different day. But he was also an artist, and he'd always say, I'd say, Dad, you know, I, don't, I can't paint like you. And he'd say, no, but you're a writer. From a very young age, he said, I know you're a writer, and one day you will write a book. Um, about two years ago or during the onset of COVID, we realized he wasn't doing well. And so there was a cancer diagnosis, and eventually we knew that his time was his time was finite. And so I decided during COVID to just write this book that had been in my mind and in my heart for about five years. Um, I had done research on this topic exclusively. And it was the greatest joy. I, I didn't tell him I was writing it. Uh, only until we got the very tail end, the publisher looked at it, edited it. I knew it was going to happen. And I said, Dad, actually, I wrote a book. And his last Christmas with us, I was able to hand it to him, which, of course, meant the world yeah. to me. And then he died shortly after. So why did I write this book, though? I had spent – Crime Stoppers, we have a massively large safe school institute. Uh, we're in schools kindergarten to 12th grade. The the best, best neighborhoods, the most difficult neighborhoods, the greatest – public schools, the greatest private schools, charter schools, home schools. We are boots on the ground in schools. And we've been there since 1997. We've, we've really been talking to these kids. And over the last five, now seven years, I started to notice something, especially as kids were really moving to technology. You had all these experts saying, you know, technology's bad. And, and all of our kids need to be off of it. And I kept thinking, okay, but I mean, I'm a mom of three. I just... I don't know that I really can keep my kids off of technology. And then COVID hit, and I was like, there's literally no way to keep them off of technology. And I'd spent a lot of time talking to parents and say, I'm trying. I really am trying. I'm trying to hold off the phone. I'm trying to monitor every app. I, I'm trying to read the text. I, tr I keep the phone downstairs at night. I'm trying, but I, I'm never ahead of the game with my kids. Yes, technology is dangerous. Parents are never going to be ahead of the game but it's a space where kids live. So we need solutions. And I, as I said, I spent about five years really talking to kids about what solutions we could come up with that they literally said, you know what, that makes sense. I, I, I get that. And I'm willing to change my behaviors online because I understand what you're saying. And rules that parents said, I understand that too. And it doesn't matter if your kid's eight or 28, and these rules are going to last, I call them evergreen. Um, they're, not, they're not specific to an app or specific to an age or specific to a time. You know, when I was writing the book, there were 2.2 million apps in, in app, the Apple Store, 3.8 million apps in Google Play. Raise your hand, parent, if you're the one that figured out how to monitor them all. You can't. Yeah. So we, I wanted to create solutions for all of it. Well, and I think w one of the things that I love about the book, and I mean, and this it is a challenging book to read. Mm -hmm. cha cha not not in the writing. The writing it's very yeah. accessible, but it's challenging because you don't know what you don't know, right? And so, but what I love about throughout the book, you say over and over, "Look, this is the world in which kids are living. Mm -hmm. You know, we we can't throw the technology away. They will they will find a way to use it." But the the flip side of that is. I didn't know that you had talked to kids. Kids want us yes. to give them boundaries. Yes. And so what I think you do here in a very 
um, accessible way is is provide you know boundaries for for kids. Is that what they're telling you when you're doing That's the research? Exactly what it is. You know, they want an honest they want an honest answer. If somebody says, "Well, you're not allowed online." Oh, okay. Whatever, fine, I'm not allowed online. What does that really mean to a kid? They're just online unsupervised. Um, somebody that says, well, you're online, you're allowed online, but you're not allowed on social media. Okay, what does that mean? They have social media accounts unsupervised. Um, so how do we, and I'm not saying parents have to let everything happen, but through conversation, you know, I start the whole book at saying have a family plan, which means sit down and talk honestly with your kids. Why are you, what, what do you want out of this? Is it just a game? Is it just to watch people? Is it to show a side of yourself? Is it, are you a, are you a talented singer, piano player, soccer player, colleges now look at things like this? Let's just be honest and, and have, you know, no judgment, no discipline, no, let's start there and see what you're trying to get out of the space, even at a young age. I'll, I'll, I'll say to kids who are eight, you're going to play Roblox? Yeah, I love Roblox. Okay, well, what does your avatar look like? You know, what is your username? Let's just start young mm-hmm. and get them to think about their presence in this space. And don't take anything for granted. Start thinking about what you look like here. Every kid has a digital fingerprint that shows up forever. And so if we can be honest with kids and figure out what their heart's desires are in terms of connecting, um, then we can really give them guardrails about how do we keep you safe. And, and what I tried to do is you can agree or disagree, but I used things that kids look up to to try to pull the safety elements, to extract the safety elements and help kids say, look, you can apply those safety elements to yourself too. And that makes sense to them. Yeah. So, so one of the things that some, a mentor of mine told me um, about sort of the online world, now my, my daughter's 20, mm-hmm. was that like you shouldn't be the, now this is, you know, whatever, 15 years ago. I always said I, I wasn't as afraid about what she would see online mm-hmm. as that she would see too much of herself online. In, in mm-hmm. other words, that she would carve out an identity yeah, yeah. based on what she see. And you really, like, that's one of the first things that you confront. It's like you're sort of saying to kids, like, you have control or yeah. power over your identity online. So why was that so important to sort of start there? Because who they represent themselves to be is the entree into everything else. It's it's how, one, it's very important for them to be careful about how they represent themselves online because technology is so massive, it's so permanent, and it's so forever. And there, as I call it, that digital fingerprint is going to show up over and over and over again. And so I need them to think about that. But the secondary issue is um, through their sharing of information, they may be sharing things they're not thinking about, like where they live or exactly their schedules or, you know, a lot of them enable their their location through apps that they use or, you know, Snap Map and things like that. Um, Additionally, they might also be sharing information that could give, make them a target innocently. and, And I need them to think about that. You know, I always, I have sort of two golden rules. I have a few of them, but two that I always share is parents versus kids versus technology is never going to be a fair fight. Your kids will win every single time. They just will. But predators versus kids versus technology is also not a fair fight. And those predators will win every time. So I need our kids to be thinking about 
what they share, how they present, and what they do when they're in any tech form, gaming, texting, social media, liking a challenge, whatever it might be, we need them to be thinking about it. And I think what's unique a little bit about your book is that you're sort of challenging parents to be more proactive than reactive. Yes. And, and really, like you've said, like meeting kids where they are and, and sort of, you know, we're not going to put our heads in the sand. No. We know that you're going to use this. Mm-hmm. So where do you like to start that conversation with parents? So, so what you've heard from kids is very clearly, please, please give us boundaries. Yes. Please, please be the adults. Mm-hmm. So where do you like to start that conversation with I parents? I want to remove the feeling that this is completely overwhelming. It's really not. And I promise you, if you sort of stay with me and listen to 30 minutes or get the book or really just engage for a minute, I'm going to walk you through, yes, what the realities are and what they look like, but also how we can turn all the gray and all the chaos into a very easy to digest, easy to understand, and easy to navigate roadmap. And it's, and it's one, I think, again, if you have an 8-year-old up to a 28-year-old, this is an important conversation for you, for you to have. And what's your, what has been your general reaction from parents? Because I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying, like the, the intimidation that mm-hmm. we as parents feel about this because we're not, I'm using air quotes, digital natives. Yes. I yeah. will say, like, our, our tech director laughs about that phrase because it's just people yeah like we're all in the right so what has been your reaction when you've said to parents take a deep breath come along with me what what's their general response they i see and i and i'll tell you i speak to parents now uh many times a week and it is the greatest joy for me to go in and see sort of fear and apprehension turn into oh my gosh that makes sense and the fact that I am almost fully booked with parent presentations, all from word of mouth, um, is amazing to me. Parents leave saying, you have to go back. You have to go to my friend's group. You have to do whatever. And they'll also say, is Crime Stoppers in the school? I get that. Every single parent group I go to, they want to make sure their kids are getting the age-appropriate version. Because remember, Crime Stoppers has a massively large safe school institute, kindergarten through 12th grade, free, everything is free, everything is age appropriate. We start the online conversations around third grade, and and they grow with kids as they graduate high school. So I have never left a presentation where parents didn't say, this is a lot that I didn't know I needed, um, a lot that I did need, and please speak to this parent group, and then come back and speak to my kids. And that means everything to us. So we um, we had a presentation uh, last year. We had a panel, and one of our um, one of our great uh, police officers with H- HPD uh, works in, specializes in the human trafficking area. And so we, we talked about mm-hmm. social media, and we had a question from a, uh, one of the parent participants about, you know, I just don't want I just don't want my kids to be on social media. They'll be better off. And so our our police officers said that most of the the young victims of human trafficking that she deals with were very naive yes. about social media. Is that does that resonate with you? I always so I said I have a few sort of golden rules or golden sayings. Another one I have is a predator's greatest gift. I'm a predator's greatest gift is an uninformed child. It is a gift. And so, listen, 
Do I want to be in a world where I have to train my girls on active shooter? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But God forbid a shooter comes in the school and they are the only ones that have no idea what's happening. They're lost in the chaos. They're lost in the fear. They have no idea of training. I'm sorry. I hate it. But they, I want them to be the first to know what to do. Do I ever want my child to interface with a predator? One billion percent? Absolutely not. And we're doing everything we can to send them to the best schools and live in the best neighborhoods we can afford and have good friends and, and vet families. But you can't control that online. You just can't. And so I need them equipped. I need them equipped from the inside out. And it's not about fear. My approach is the opposite of fear. I mean, when I, you mentioned the book, it's written for parents, but it's ultimately for children. So when I talk to parents, I do talk about the hard issues. But when I talk to kids, I want to share the important elements. I can't shield them. But it's not to scare them. It is to empower them. And kids love to have that power. I'll just give it one more example in another way. If children see footage of hurricanes only with people drowning in homes or on a, on a mattress floating above a house and hear people died and just dogs died, and the next time they hear there's a hurricane, they're going to be terrified. If the flip side is, listen, we know that weather can come. We know it can be dangerous, but we built our house to last this. We have a family plan. The school knows when to notify us. We may leave this. All of a sudden, parent, kids say, wait, I already knew. I mean, you can't hide the fact. I know hurricanes happen. I see the foot. But now I know we have a plan. Like, I don't have to be terrified. They're not going to be afraid. They're going to feel empowered. And we should want that for our kids. I, I guess it's interesting to me that this is cr- that we're that you're the CEO of Crime Stoppers. So what, uh, where do you see the connection, I guess? Oh, yeah. so connected. Yep. So, so most people know about Crime Stoppers because they hear the number every day on the news. And, and we do have an incredibly successful tip line that solved nearly 40,000 felony cases in just Houston alone. Um, and it pays tipsters for information anonymously. It's, it's wonderful. People applaud it. But also people don't feel connected to that. They may never be a tipster. They're not committing crimes, so it's great, 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 but it's for the nonprofit work of Crime Stoppers working with HPD and the Sheriff's Office and the law enforcement agencies we work with. But what people don't realize is our mission is to solve and prevent crime, and that prevention arm is huge. We have a huge, huge, huge Safe School Institute. Uh, we're in over 750 schools across the state of Texas offering free services on every crime trend tip imaginable for kids. And and I'll tell you, if you're an adult today, you and I were not raised in a world that looks anything similar to the to the world our kids are being raised in. Our kids deal with bullying, they deal with cyberbullying, they deal with cyber stalking, they deal with harassment, they deal with drugs, they deal with synthetic drugs. Now they have fentanyl laced pills that can be sent to them in the greatest neighborhood for fifteen cents in a in a moment's notice. It's a different world. It's a completely different world. And so our Safe School Institute is, is, is literally studying every trending issue and offering prevention information for kids, and it satisfies state mandates. So the digital space was one that I was particularly interested in and wanted to dive into a little bit deeper. Um, in addition to our Safe School Institute, we have a safe community program. So we're out in the community talking about every crime imaginable from domestic violence to elder elder abuse to animal cruelty, human trafficking, uh, bank robbery, you know, retail theft, everything, digital identity theft. We cover everything. 
our whole goal is to prevent crime through education because a lot of it can be mitigated through awareness. It's interesting that you say that about the world. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about sort of the similarity between the school the schools that I went to mm-hmm. in the 1970s and mm-hmm. 80s and the schools that my parents went to in the 1940s and 50s, very similar. Yeah. The schools that my kid kids are going to today, same, same amount of time removed, mm-hmm. are fundamentally different. Like so different. What we know from brain research and how mm-hmm. we approach things like literacy or things like math, totally different. And then when you, when you insert technology into that, everything that you just mentioned, right, so it's not just the school yeah. and the approach to education that's different, but it is really the world in which, in which they live is different. It's completely different. And when I, one of the, the, when I begin my presentation, I actually showed this slide um, of a fourth grade class. And I, 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 I just, parents face this every time I show this, and we ask them a particular question, and it's a sea of arms raised. And not just arms, like kind of like half raised, but like fully extended, like that's me, that's me. And the parents, every time I give the present, are shocked when they see this picture because I'm at, we're asking a question about online usage. Um, and then the next slide is a picture of just acronyms and, and emojis. And I ask the parents, like, which ones do you know? And they don't, they maybe know one of 10. So I'm making the point that in the first picture, our kids are being raised in a different world than us. They're spending time on this platform. All the hands are extended and extended with emotion while all the parents in that room that day and then even as I give presentations have no idea what app I'm even talking about. They have no idea. So they're being, our kids are being raised in a different world and then they're speaking a different language. Parents don't know the acronyms. They don't know what the emojis mean. So, and, and th- those two realities exist because technology exists. You're not going to save your child from any of it based on school, neighborhood, um, part of the country, culture. It, it's there. And so we've got to embrace that, be aware of it, but figure out ways to live within it in, in a safe way. Well, that's a great. Um, and as we wrap up, so what we, what we ultimately want to do is we want to get uh, our parents to come in and listen to your presentation. So um, I, I think it would be great for folks to get the book before the, the presentation. I always feel like you should do your homework in advance. That's the educator in me. So um, it is called The Online World. Um, what, what, do you, what would you hope would be sort of the takeaways from your presentation to kind of tease people so that they'd be interested? My whole goal is that they walk away with an actual plan that's going to keep their kids safe starting that night or the next morning um, when they start having conversations. I promise you, you will have conversations you've never had before with your kids, and you may discover some things that actually need some protection that they will they might share with you. I've had that happen too many times to count. Uh, kids saying, I, I actually didn't know who to talk to about this. I'm in trouble. Um, but you are going to create an entire new strategy indefinitely for the health and wellness and safety of your children when it comes to technology. And for you, peace of mind and, and, an, and an ability to understand the space. Yeah, and I would, I would say having read the book, um, I, I know what you're saying about parents feeling intimidated. Mm-hmm. Like what I felt empowered having read the book, and now granted my, my daughter has grown, but I felt like if I had had this book when she was 10 mm-hmm. or 12, I would have gone into this conversation and surprised her with the knowledge that I have 
Um, and then the plan that you that you lay out there, it's very accessible. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah. So I guess my my last question is like you're you're in the thick of this. Yeah. I mean, you're a parent of teenagers yourself. Mm-hmm. How how's it going? How are you? How are Good. You I mean, now? I I it is because I, I listen. Nothing's perfect. I have three girls, so there's a lot of emotion in the house. Um, but I really believe if you respect your kids and treat them honestly and talk to them openly in an age-appropriate manner, it's amazing what they're willing to share and how they're willing to grow and how they're willing to act. Our kids, as you started with, they want guidance. They want boundaries. They want parameters, but they want them honestly. And so um, I've always had that approach. Of course, our house is very open in the sense that they see a lot of my work, and so I'll share stories with them that we we deal with in, in Houston or just around. And uh, they're very aware, hyper aware of, of issues, but I'm proud of it. They're proud of it. Um, they're asking me to make sure I'm speaking at their schools, which makes me feel really good because <laughs> it's like they're proud of the work I'm doing. Yeah. And I just hope that it blesses others. Honestly, that's all I care about. Well, Rania, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic uh, teaser for your presentation, which is going to be on October the 20th. Uh, in LC 181 right after drop-off. So parents, if you're listening, please make plans on October the 20th. Come on in after you drop the kiddos uh, in the morning. Come to LC 181 and hear Rania.